When you're in your 20s and 30s, the, the thought of retirement is glamorous, right? I'm going to travel the world when I retire. That's what we say, right? It's so far away that it's hard to really imagine what it's really going to be like when we hit 65 or 70 or whenever we re- decide that we're ready. Then you hit your 40s, and then especially in your 50s, it starts to become more of a reality. Then the thoughts shift to things like, am I financially in good shape to retire at 65? Do I have to work until I'm 70? And maybe more appropriately, what am I going to do when I retire? If I'm not working, what is my purpose? So many things to think about, Pete. How will I adjust to being around my significant other 24-7? You know, we seldom talk about the emotional hardships of retirement. Today, we are. Hi, I'm Macy Jepson. And I'm Pete Kenworthy, and this is The Science of Health. Joining us today is Dr. Martha Sajedovic, the Director of Neurological and Behavioral Outcomes Center at University Hospitals in Cleveland. She specializes in geriatric psychiatry, anxiety, and depression. Thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me. So let's start here. A 2020 study showed that roughly a third of retirees experienced some form of depression. So here's a loaded one-word question. Why? (laughs) The main reason for that is that challenges and rewards related to retirement or during the retirement uh, time are as different as individuals. Um, However, uh, much of it can be traced to retirement readiness, also sometimes called retirement preparedness. And people definitely can, uh, you know, know themselves or learn about themselves so that they can optimally prepare for retirement and hopefully reduce their chances of having challenges. It sounds like challenges are normal, though, uh, especially leading up to retirement and probably in the very beginning of retirement as well. So, It's not what we imagined when we were younger. What are the main causes of retirement depression? Um, So, Macy, I'm going to back that up a little bit, uh, maybe before we charge into depression or challenges and and talk about sort of that journey of retirement. You know, what I uh, encourage my patients in, you know, discussion about retirement readiness is thinking about you know, both the, the positives and the potential challenges. Uh, and, and actually, studies have shown, especially for people that have stressful work situations, that that period shortly after retirement can be very beneficial. Uh, you know, you've removed the stressor of a difficult workplace or a workplace where you may feel you have little agency or little ability to, you know, determine what happens. So I think it's important to put that in the context and talk about retirement as kind of um, mixed opportunities. That's good to know. So now let's talk about some of the causes of these hardships in retirement. Right. So those, those are, you know, really an excellent point. And um, the way I like to think about it is thinking about different life domains. And uh, if an individual might expect to have, or, you know, we might be able to foresee that they would have challenges, then that's an area where we could think about, you know, I might be likely to have depression or anxiety or other difficulties. So um, there have been a lot of studies looking at retirement readiness or retirement preparation and risk factors for challenges. And one way to think about this is um, kind of four key domains. So one domain is the domain of physical health. You know, how healthy is a person? Um, And do they already have health challenges where maybe not working could impact that some way or another? Mental health. 
is a big one, right? If an individual already has issues with depression and anxiety, uh, you know, as I mentioned earlier, sometimes the removal of a stressful work situation could improve that depression or anxiety, but it may bring a host of additional challenges given that the person may be already vulnerable to mood disorders or, or having an anxiety condition. The next thing that I would, would uh, suggest is thinking about the domain of financial readiness. We know that individuals uh, will have a different type of income that may or may not meet their financial needs, and you can actually have something called financial anxiety related to depression where people perhaps haven't projected what their needs are. And there's always an unknown, right? You don't know how long somebody's going to live versus how long their money's going to last or how it should be best be used. And then the last is um, the social environment or social health. You know, we certainly saw very well during the COVID pandemic how uh, a, a drop or a closing off of social connections can have a pretty heavy mental health burden. And then, of course, there is the situation when you're forced to retire sooner than, than planned. That, that's that got to be really stressful. Yes, absolutely. And you can still think about that in the, you know, way or along the, the lines of those four domains, right? So people can have different reasons as to force retirement. So if they're forced to retire because of physical health, not only do they have whatever health issue they had, you know, that caused that retirement, but now they have potentially reduced income or reduced social support. Um, forced retirement could be related to mental health issues. You can imagine it wouldn't, uh, you know, require too much of a, a telescope to see ahead that, that those might continue to persist. And then financial as well, the social environment. If somebody is um, not going to work every day, for instance, or have other activities, sometimes it can exacerbate tensions that are already there in a marriage, in a family uh, relationship or home life. I've read that for most people, the primary cause of retirement depression is a lack of purpose. And this is a tough one, right? Like for decades, many people find purpose in their jobs and that's not there anymore, right? So what's the best way to adjust to that or find that purpose outside of work? Right. So, you know, what what is helping you to get up every morning? What is your goal? It's important for people to continue to have goals. And I would argue that part of retirement readiness is thinking about, you know, what is going to be meaningful for you? Uh, I, I don't think most people who are planning to retire uh, think upfront and consciously, oh, I'm going to just sit in front of the TV uh, from 8 in the morning until 10 at night, which, um, you know, in most cases would probably not lead to a strong sense of purpose. Some of, some of the things that I read when I looked at that information uh, were things like don't retire completely, right? Like slowly scale back so you can build maybe a lifestyle and an identity that doesn't depend on your work. So that I think brings up the issue of uh, what you're gonna do with this period of time. So um, the Social Security Administration and retirement, you know, this whole uh, kind of platform and source, source of financial support that we have started in the 1930s. And at that time, the average life expectancy was around 60. Retirement started at age 65, so you're really looking at, in that era, a limited number of years in which to use your post-work time. Things are very different now. Our life expectancy is in the high 70s, and so, you know, depending on the time that you retire, let's just say 66 or 67, you might be looking at a decade or two decades or, or perhaps even more of retirement 
time period. So that really underscores the need to think about, you know, that is a that is a good chunk of time. It's a new life chapter rather than just a few remaining years. And how am I going to use that in a way that satisfies me um, emotionally, physically, you know, and, and nurtures my social network? And one of the things pointed out here was uh, the word passion jumped out at me, either finding new passions like new hobby, social events, volunteering, that, that kind of thing, or even teaching an old passion, right? Like a musical instrument or art or cooking, that, something that allows some focus on projects and, and honestly, potentially even some income there as well. Correct, correct. So the idea that, you know, you're going to work full time and then you're going to instantly go into full time retirement is something that is, uh, you know, up for discussion more. Could you have stepped in kind of employment where people might work a limited number of hours. Uh, certainly we've seen with our virtual work environment that people are finding different ways to, to, to do their tasks and perhaps not driving to work every day and all the expenses and burden associated with that might open the door. But then, uh, you know, uncompensated uh, employment or different careers, you know, again, thinking about this could be one or two decades or more how am I going to use that time? So I need to be a lot more intentional about how I'm going to plan my days. One or two decades <laughs> more. That's a lot of time if you have a significant other. And I found this Census Bureau uh, data really interesting. It goes back to 2016. But you know, the average national average is at 34% for divorce. But for ages 55 to 64, it goes up to 43%. 65 to 74, it's, it's still up there, 39%. This is a, can be a tough time. So let's talk about preparing, first of all, expectations, making sure that you're on the same page with your partner. Right, right. So, uh, you know, people, people talk about financial planning, and it's pretty easy to get folks on track with that. You know, how much money do I have and how long is it going to last? But those other domains, the physical health, the mental health, and the social support health are all just as worthy of discussion. And that's where, you know, the spouses and the families come in. You know, how, how are we going to divide tasks at home, for instance? Um, are, you know, how am I going to stay physically healthy if I'm no longer going to work every day? Do I need to have an exercise plan? Is my spouse going to participate with me? So, you know, having those prep discussions can potentially alleviate the possibility or diminish the possibility of, you know, worse conflict or tension a bit further down the road. Is there any concern in retiring at the same time? I've heard about couples kind of easing into it. One one is home first, get used to that first, and then the other retires. Do you see that happen a lot? Uh, I, I, I do. Uh, and, and part of that relates to differential ages of, of marriage partners, right? Um, still, we often see men being a little bit older, so it may be that they retire earlier, perhaps. And so there's kind of a built-in <laughs> Petri dish or experiment to see how that goes. But again, having those discussions and how is that working spouse going to adjust to the to the spouse that's no longer working, right? And if the couple expects that everything's going to be exactly the same and the working spouse is going to continue to do you know, just as much, you can imagine that that might um, lead to some resentment or some conflict or certainly a need to re renegotiate how things are going to happen in the, in the home. So we've talked a lot about staying physically active, but what about mentally? And I, I would imagine that that 
your mental aptitude might decline quickly if, if you're not using your brain the way you used to. Yeah, so again, that's a, a complicated issue as well. So if you've got a very stressful job and you retire from that just stressful job, uh, studies suggest that, you know, in those first year or two after retirement, that can be almost like being on vacation or a holiday. And it's sort of, there's a sense of, oh, of, of, of a weight lifting from me. But um, if you follow these, you know, individuals who've had that bump in sort of reduction in stress, uh, what you do see is that they may then go on to encounter new stresses, right? So what is the expectation? If you expect that your life is going to be perfect once you retire and then you have the kind of stresses that come on that life routinely deals with us, um, you know, you're going to continue to have to think about what coping mechanisms do I have and what is constructive and positive for me. Is anxiety in the same bucket here? Like my, my guess is retirement anxiety is also an issue, right? It's not just depression. Yeah, so retirement and anxiety, or depression and anxiety often kind of go hand in hand. Um, there are some slight differences. So, you know, one way to think about depression and anxiety is anxiety tends to be future oriented, you know, working about thinking about the future. Depression sometimes can be more past oriented, right? Things were better or I've lost something. Um, but that, again, is where the preparation can be helpful. So I talked about financial anxiety, but there can be more nonspecific types of anxieties. You know, how am I going to spend my days? How is it going to be for me? Um, what will it be like for me when I'm no longer working? And, and again, trying to think about some of those things preemptively can diminish anxiety. Um, but the other thing that I, I do want to bring up, you know, uh, as a psychiatrist, especially for somebody who has a history of depression and a, or a history of anxiety, is it is important to make sure that you have health care access, right? If your insurance, health insurance status is going to change, what kind of benefits do you have? And can you continue to see your same providers as always? Uh, if that needs to change, you know, what types of availability is there for you? So that's a, a very important point. Um, ideally, it's good to know what kind of healthcare resources you have before you're really in a, in a crunch or a crisis and need those services. So the theme here is planning ahead and obviously for, for the finances, but equally important, I, I'm hearing from you, is, is that you need to make sure you have a purpose, you maintain a reason for, for being. Uh, any final advice on how to make that happen? So one word of advice I would have is whatever is rewarding for you, the way you find meaning, um, the actual activity might change, but try to understand kind of what it is that really kind of revs you up and look for opportunities that will be a good fit for you, whether it's teaching, whether it's volunteering, whether it's working part-time, um, or trying something new that you, you've always wanted to try and never had, um, just to make sure that that sense of reward continues to be there. Even with all this great advice, you know, I go back to the stat that we talked about at the beginning, that a, a third of retirees experience some sort of depression. How do you know when it's time to get some help, right? How, how do you know when it's, when it's, you know, many people will battle that, oh, I'll get through this day or I'll get through this week and things will get better. Are there signs or are there, are there clues you should look for that maybe I should talk to someone? Yeah, yeah. So I would say that, you know, that's true kind of across the lifespan, right? Do I feel like 
you know, do I, do I feel a sense of depression or do I feel down? Um, but there is one thing I'd like to mention that, that is specific to retirement and it is specific to depression is most people retire later in life, right? Then they're mid to late 60s or, or earlier to mid 70s. And one thing that we do see with older age depression that does differ from depression in younger people is that young people tend to have more of that sense of uh, dysphoria or depression, the blues, I can really feel down, something weighing heavily on me. Whereas what you might be particularly likely to see in older people is what we call anhedonia, uh, a lack of interest or lack of pleasure. And so it's uh, not unusual for me to hear from my older patients, Doc, it's not that I feel down, I just don't feel like doing anything. And it's that symptom that can actually be uh, sort of a hallmark of depression in later life. That is something that the person may notice themselves or their family might notice it or a spouse might notice it. And that's where that's that important you know, social preparedness uh, to say, you know, let's let's just see how you're doing, and let's just check in and see how you're doing. How do you get through that? I mean, how do you get through? I, I certainly have known older people in my life who I can I, I picture their faces when you say that I don't feel like doing anything. How do you get over that hump? Well, what I would say is, if it's part of a clinical depression, a major depressive disorder, then that has evidence-based treatments. There's counseling. There's uh, you know, medication or other biological treatments that can be effective. Um, it may not be to the full scale of a major depressive uh, disorder, but uh, some of the um, kind of coping mechanisms to particularly address that issue can be useful. For example, we know that exercise is a robust uh, approach to manage depression, right? Is the person becoming a couch potato afterwards? And, you know, you could see how that could happen, right? It's just kind of tough to, sh to shift gears and start doing something else. But proactively and preemptively putting in place things that will help um, both, you know, kind of battle the blues and deal with that kind of anhedonia can be helpful. I feel like anyone listening to this I hope that they will feel relieved to understand that this is normal. What would be your final piece of advice if you could put a bow on this for people who are listening and preparing, or maybe they're in the middle of it and they're seeing that it's not really meeting all of their expectations? What what would you have to say to them? Yeah, I would say, you know, look at those those areas. We talked about the four domains. And be willing to try different coping strategies, right? If something isn't working. Uh, you don't want to necessarily do more of the same. I mean, sometimes you could if it's, you know, if you're maybe eating a little bit healthily, healthily and it's better to move to an even more healthy diet. But, but try new approaches to help you manage stress uh, or communication within your family or, or within a couple. It sounds like that's the priority, you know, is, is, okay, you don't have your job to go to anymore. Make your emotional and physical health your priority. So I often tell my, my patients, you know, they, they talk about their 401k and financial planning, uh, but that's only one of those domains. You know, you really need to devote just as much, if not more, effort to those other domains, your physical health, your emotional health, and your social health. Dr. Martha Sajadovic from University Hospitals in Cleveland, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. 
Remember, you can find and subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Search University Hospitals or The Science of Health, depending on where you subscribe. And for more health news, advice from medical experts, and The Science of Health podcast, go to uhhospitals.org slash blog.